uh, glad everybody could be here. Communion Sunday today, so I pray that you come with a prepared heart to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to uh, uh, enjoy the message, to enjoy fellowship, and to see what a great Savior we truly have in Jesus Christ and what a shepherd we have in Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in and, and get started. Father, we thank you for your tremendous grace on us, Lord. That the reason we sit here as your blood-bought people is because of your grace and your mercy. Because of your son's substitutionary atoning work on the cross for us, Lord. That we can sing, it was finished upon that cross. Father, no more work for us to do. Your Son has done all the work for us. So, Lord, we are thankful that we are no longer in our sin, but that Christ has taken all of our sin, past, present, and future, and has taken it and removed it as far as the east is from the west, has thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness, Father, we sit here today as a blessed people. May we be gracious to everyone we come in contact with, with this same gospel of your Son. Lord, now I just pray for your message. I pray, Lord, that Christ would be seen as most glorious, that he would be seen as excellent, as good. Father, that you would consume our hearts with him that we would have a desire to follow him that your Holy Spirit would come and fall upon us Lord and open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to see Christ more clearly to love him more dearly and to endure him even more we ask this in your name Lord Amen so a shepherd we think of a shepherd, we think of, as in church, we think of the guy in the pulpit. <laughs> and that's what we think of. He's the shepherd, right? He's the one who shepherds the church. The elders are the ones who take care of the body. And this is right. This is a right thought to have. And that's how it is within the church. If we think of a Middle Eastern shepherd, a Middle Eastern shepherd was someone who led the flock. They didn't push the flock. Many of you know this analogy already. But a shepherd in the Middle East didn't push the flock on where to go. But a Middle Eastern shepherd led the flock. He was the one that went before the flock and the flock followed him. That is the picture that we have of Christ. We see through the gospel, Jesus is always saying to follow me, follow me, take up your cross, follow me. And so we see that Jesus is the shepherd that always goes before his sheep. And this is a great example for even us shepherds within here to know that we go before the sheep. We are the ones who care for the sheep. But we are not the good shepherd. Only one is the good shepherd. 
And in this passage, what Christ is talking about is it's a continuation from John 9 where he is talking to the Pharisees in the idea of you're not the good shepherd, but I am the good shepherd. One of the seven I am's in the book of John. So what kind of shepherd is Jesus? And that's what I want us to concentrate on today. As we come to the communion table, what a shepherd we have. To see him as the ultimate, most glorious, excellent, perfect shepherd. And so who is this shepherd? Well, Jesus says in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says he is the noble shepherd, is what this word good is. He is the good shepherd. In verse 14, he says the same thing. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So he clarifies who he is. In John 10 again, 12 and 13, he says this, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He brings himself in contrast to the Pharisees here where he is saying, You are hired hands. You are in this only for yourself. This is what he's saying. The good shepherd, he's not a hired hand. He cares for the sheep. The hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. He sees danger coming, and what's he do? He runs. He doesn't care for the sheep. He's going to let the wolves eat the sheep. But our shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, is not a hired hand. He is not a hired hand. But he's not only the good shepherd, he's not only a hired hand, but he is the great shepherd. He is the great shepherd. In Hebrews 13, 20, the Hebrew writer writes this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And not only that, but he is the chief shepherd shepherd he's the chief shepherd paul tells us that he is what the chief of sinners right we can say that right some of us will sit there and say man paul had nothing on me i'm the chief of sinners right right and what paul is saying is that when he says chief he's saying i'm the best i'm the greatest i'm the foremost of all sinners as he is the chief Sinner. In 1 Peter 5, 4, Peter says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That word chief, it's the same one. The foremost, the best, the greatest of shepherds. This is who Jesus is, brothers and sisters. He is the good. He is the great. And he is the chief shepherd. This is who he is. Now, not only is that who he is, but who does the shepherd know? Who does the shepherd know? So we get a church our size, right? And we look at the shepherds, you know, Martin and Dick and myself, and we know you all. 
most of you all. There's a few faces that I don't know. But we know you, and we know your struggles. We know things about you, and you know us. But what about this shepherd? What about Jesus? Who does Jesus know? Well, first of all, we see in this passage in John 10 that he knows the Father. He knows the Father. In John 10, 15, he says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So he knows God the Father. He's intimately involved with God the Father. So he knows him. But he not only knows the Father, but he knows his sheep. This is important, that he knows his sheep. Listen to John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He knows who his sheep are. Again, in verse 27, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's key things here. Jesus is the one who knows us. He knows his sheep. And according to the first couple of verses in John 10, it says that the, 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 the gatekeeper opens his door to the shepherd, and the shepherd calls the sheep. Right? He calls the sheep to himself. This is what the shepherd does. This is what Jesus does. The good shepherd does. Is what does he do? He calls him sheep to himself. His sheep, right? Listen to verse 27 again. My sheep hear my voice. Right? And I know them and they follow me. There is a response to hearing Jesus' voice. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. Not somebody else's sheep, but his sheep hear his voice. So what does the shepherd do? He calls his sheep out of the sheepfold. And not all the sheep come, but only his sheep come. Right? Listen to verse 2 of John chapter 10. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There's another thing. We get this leading out. He's the one who leads his sheep. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He goes before the sheep. They know his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd who calls his sheep out of the sheepfold. John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the church, right? This is Jew and Gentile coming together. Jesus is saying that I not only have sheep that are of the Jewish, Jewish people, but I have sheep of the Gentiles. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, I have sheep. And they hear my voice, and I know them. This is the love that our shepherd has for us. John 6, 37, uh, Jesus puts it this way. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What he's saying here is that Jesus knows his sheep and all of his sheep will come to him. 
There is no doubt in his mind when he dies on the cross for his bride or his sheep that they will not come. All that the Father has given me will come to me. They will come because the shepherd knows his sheep. Again, in 644, he says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the voice. This drawing to the shepherd. God is the one who draws us to the shepherd. Why? Because he knows you. That is why you are drawn to him, is because he knows you. This is the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34 talks about the shepherds of, uh, of Israel and how Ezekiel was to prophesy against them because they were the shepherds that were fleecing the flock. And he says, why do you feed yourself and not the flock? These are the people that are using the sheep for their own gain. The shepherds that are using them to better themselves while the sheep suffer instead of caring for the sheep. And this is what God says in Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that have been scattered. So I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of the clouds and thick darkness. Notice the emphasis on I. This is what Jesus does. He seeks out his sheep. He is the shepherd that calls his sheep. He is the hound of heaven. That's what he does. Ezekiel puts it real clear. I myself will search them. Right? I will do this. I will seek them out. They are my sheep. Notice what he doesn't say. Jesus does not say, well, I really hope they find me. I really hope they make the right choice. I really hope they go to that church so that they can hear the gospel. He doesn't say that. He says, I seek out my sheep. It's very clear, brothers and sisters. We sit here today redeemed by the blood of Christ because he sought you and I out. Not because we sought him, because we would never seek him. That's how dead we were. But the good shepherd seeks out his sheep and he calls them by name and we respond and we follow. He calls them out. He cares for the sheep. Listen to Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosoms and gently lead those who are with young. Listen to those caring words, right? He tends his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to him. This is what he does. This is what he does for you and I. This is how great of a shepherd we have, that he carries us in his arms. He brings us close to his bosom. He cares ultimately for you and I. 
man, what a shepherd we have. We should not want at all because he is so great and he is so good and he is so caring to the point where he lays his life down for the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. This is what the, what the shepherd would do. The sheep would be in the pen. He would sleep to defend the sheep from the wolves. He would lay his life down. Jesus does it in a whole different way. He goes to the cross for his sheep. He lays his life down in a whole different aspect. He says, my sheep have sinned. My bride has sinned. I'm going to cleanse her. I'm going to lay down my life for her because you cannot atone for your sin. But I can. And I'm going to lay my life down for her. I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. Listen to John 10, 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again in 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He lays his life down for us, brothers and sisters. He didn't count his life as something to hold on to, right? That's what... That's what Philippians says. He didn't, grasp, he didn't grasp equality with God as something to hold on to, but he becomes obedient to death on a cross for you and I. He takes the full wrath of God for you and I. That's what he does. And he doesn't do it because he had to do it. He does it willingly. He does it willingly. He does it out of love for us, right? Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. But Jesus, brothers and sisters, our good shepherd went to the cross. As we celebrate, we celebrate the cross, right? We celebrate the body given for us. And we celebrate the blood of the new covenant. This is what we celebrate. This is what we remember. Why? Because he willingly laid down his life for us. He willingly laid down his life for his bride, for his sheep. He does this. Now, why does he do it? Why does he do it? Well, there's affections involved, right? There's affections involved. Husbands in here, right? Or even parents, if we're going to lay our lives down for our bride, it's not because we don't love them. It's because we have genuine affections for them. And Jesus has genuine affections for the Father, first and foremost. We have to understand this. The cross, first and foremost, was because of Jesus' love for the Father and to do His will. John 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Because Jesus is obedient to the Father's will. John 17, 1 says it this way. For when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The cross, as brutal as it was, is the glory of God. Christ, first and foremost, glorifies God in his death. We have to keep that in our minds. His journey on this earth was first and foremost to glorify the Father, to do the Father's will. 
to appease God, to propitiate our sin. That was what he came to do, to glorify God, and secondly, to save us. But God's glory was always first and foremost. And we, secondly. But this is why he does it. So we see these reasons of our, who our shepherd is. So now we have to look at it this way. What's it mean for you and I? As we sit here as his saved people, as his sheep, what's it mean? How do we, how do we look at it? Well, okay, Mark, how does that impact my salvation? I've already known that. I've read John 10 before, right? I've done this. I know he's the good shepherd. Well, how about this? Let's look at a few things. Let's look at it when he calls. We have to understand that we are a called people, right? We didn't pick up the phone to call Jesus. Jesus called us. That's what happens. He is the one who calls us, and what are we to do? We are to follow him. We are to follow him. John 6.37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We follow him. We get into the word. If we don't know how to follow him, that's what we do. We have to get into the word. What did Jesus do? Right? The whole Bible tells us what Jesus did. We follow him because we hear his voice. This is called the effectual call. You see, the gospel goes out to everyone. But only his sheep hear his voice. This is the effectual call. It's when we respond to him. To the good shepherd, what do we do? We are, we are called to him, we follow him. This is what it means for you and I, that we follow the good shepherd. We follow his examples. We lay down our lives. We take up our cross, and we follow him. Secondly, what else do we do? We are those who no longer want. We are those who are no longer want. Psalm 23, 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because we're content with who our shepherd is. We're content with who he is. We don't desire anything. We know that he is the one who leads us to the still waters, who takes us to these green pastures where we eat. We know in Psalm 23 that the good shepherd is the one who is in the valley of darkness with us. He is the one with us. He's the one whose staff and rod comforts us. It's the good shepherd that has an abundance of, of uh, uh, a banquet before us, before our enemies. We are content because of the good shepherd. Because we know that this shepherd will ultimately care for us in every single way we need to be cared for. Do you trust that, brothers and sisters? Do you trust that he's going to care for you exactly how you need to be cared for? Do you trust that he loves you with an everlasting love? Do you trust his word? Or as Dick read, are you the one who's anxious from C.H. Spurgeon? 
Are you the one who's anxious? And a distrust comes in. You see, when we grasp the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd, we trust in him. We lay in the green pastures. We stay by the still waters because he is the good shepherd. Thirdly, we dwell in safety. We can rest. We can rest that the work is done. We can rest that the cross work is finished. We can rest in him. We can rest in him. Listen to John 10, 28 and 29. This is what the good shepherd does. I give them eternal life. You have eternal life. Eternity awaits us. And it's not an eternity in hell. It's an eternity in heaven with him. Rejoicing, praising, like we looked at last week with the lute and the lyre and the flute and the cymbals. Praising him loudly. He gives you eternal life. This is what your shepherd does because he lays down his life for you and for me. We dwell in safely because he gives us eternal life. And not only that, but it says, and they will never perish. The Christian never dies. Yes, his heart's going to stop. Yes, we're going to go on the ground. But the Christian never dies because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. When our eyes shut and they open in heaven, it is life. It is life like we will never imagine. It is life that we should be craving, that we should be looking for, right? And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Oh, what safety we have in our Savior. What safety we have in our shepherd. When the good shepherd comes and says, I give them eternal life, they never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. What rest we have, brothers and sisters, when we know that we are in the hand of the Almighty God, that we are in the hand of Elohim himself, the Mighty One. That's whose hand we are in. The Good Shepherd you know who he is? He is Elohim. He is the mighty one. And we are in his hands. This is what we celebrate today. This is what we come to praise. This is who we come to praise. Is the shepherd, the mighty one, who has laid down his life for you and I. What should that do to our hearts? It should cause us to worship like never before. That's what it should do. Our hearts should just be filled with praise like last week for him and what he has done. We should glory in him. We should worship him with everything we have. We should bow the knee before him. This is what our good shepherd, what it should lead us to, to celebrate him. 1 Timothy 6.15, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen? Amen. This is our God. This is our shepherd. This is who he is. 
And so as we come to communion now, as we come to this table, our hearts should be filled with joy of who our good shepherd is. He is the shepherd of the sheep. So take a few minutes, brothers and sisters. If your heart is not right before God, as we pass out the bread and the cup, and take some time, pray, even take time to pray and rejoice and praise God for all that He has done for us. But if you're not a believer, this is not for you. You let it pass. You let it pass. If you are a believer and your heart is bitter and it's not right before God because of someone in your life or something in your life, let it go by. There's no embarrassment in any of this. Paul gives this warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a serious thing, brothers and sisters, as we come to the table. Be sure your heart is right. Be sure your heart is right. And if you sit here as an unbeliever, do you hear his voice today? Do you hear the great shepherd? Do you hear the chief shepherd calling you to himself? Do you hear him calling you, saying, repent of your sin, trust in me, trust in my cross work for you, that I have completely and fully forgiven you of your sin, come to me now. Do you hear his voice calling you? If you do, don't hesitate. Come. Come to him now. So please, take some time as we pass the, the elements out with the 